Keeping It 1000 podcast is presented with limited commercial interruption thanks to DraftKings. Now is the time to celebrate. That's right, football is here to kick off football's 101st season. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer start to the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. It's an absolute no-brainer. Plus, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter the survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. It's limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligible Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522 now, let's get with George Carl and hear what he had to say about games one, two, and three of this series. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm your host, Adam Matez, and I'm joined by the star of the show, Coach George Carl. Coach, it's uh, it's good to see you. How are you doing on this snowy Colorado September day? Well, I don't think shorts is going to make it, so I'm going to have to go, put a, <laughs> go and put some sweats on, I think. I put a sweatshirt on. And I, this is crazy. It, it came fast, man. We went we went from unbearably hot to our first snow in, uh, in shocking quickness. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's what, September, not even September 10th yet. I, I welcome it. Only as a one-off. I don't. I'm not ready for winter or anything like that. But I was. Uh, I was ready for a little cool down for a couple days. The Denver Nuggets are in what I think is a very interesting series. I've enjoyed the last two games immensely. I would have enjoyed last night's game a little bit more if Denver would have had just one or two more plays in them uh, down the stretch. I think it was that close for them that they were one one or two plays away from winning that one. But. I thought that this series with the Denver Nuggets, between the Nuggets and the Clippers, has been really interesting over these last two games. Have you, I mean, just before we get into breaking this down and talking about the details, have you enjoyed this one? Have you enjoyed the basketball that's being played? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think right now I, I study the, all the games a little bit more from who is ready for being a contender and who's really yeah. – Kind of a, I mean, I don't think any of these teams are pretenders, right? But they're they're moving up that totem pole of pretender to contender, and how far have they gotten, and where are they? And I and I think we're all surprised that Milwaukee, who we thought was going to be the contender, might not even be a contender at all, yeah. especially with Giannis being hurt. Yeah, that has been a for me at least. It's been a little bit of a surprise. I knew obviously that Milwaukee was a team that was vulnerable um, because of what we saw in last last year's playoffs, losing four straight and, and and some of those things. But I was surprised by that. But you're right. This is, and I think you said this in our last show that this is the round that separates those the, yeah. the contenders and pretenders. And as 
you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but is there anybody else that you cross off? I mean, Toronto and, and Boston are in a very close series. Um, you know, Lakers and Houston are in a close series. Is there, is there any other team that you cross off or is it just Milwaukee right now that doesn't look like a contender? Uh, probably. I mean, I mean, I think what's, what, what is stand, stood out to me is every team has some flaws. Yeah. Uh, that I, I'd be worried about. Yeah. And the two teams that I think, if I had to have a ranking right now, I would put Boston and Miami 1-2 over the Clips yeah. or whoever. Right. I think Boston and Miami are finding more things now with confidence and evolving, ex- expanding their maybe uh, confidence and their depth of uh, versatility. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning and I like Boston a little bit more than Miami, but I love both of them. Boston because Kemba is really the, the, the really true. I mean, he and Drogic are, are the point guards in the East that are having powerful impact in their games. And, um, you know, you got a long way to go. And the whole thing comes down to is I, I trust the point guard teams yeah. probably more than the, the star teams uh, only because you got a lot of games to go and you, and your brain and your experience and your, your connection and the glue to the game. A lot of it comes with how your point guard plays. Yeah. I like that. You've kind of been on that really all year, really, since you've been on social media and, and, and you know, on, on the Truth and Basketball mm-hmm. podcast, you've been on this, you know, the importance of point guards and not just point guard, you know, scores or this or that, but floor, floor generals. So this has been a recurring theme, I, I, I take it with you. Is it always the case or you just think, it, especially now and, and sort of where basketball is right now? Or has this always been a thing that point guards are just this important? No, I would say, I don't know five seven years ago is where i first started thinking that the the point guard is like the quarterback you you can't have success without them yeah i mean you're i mean i've always felt lebron's a point guard right they they say, they say someone else is a point guard but he's been the point guard for his team forever and he's been the guy that's delivered more championships over the last couple of years than anybody else you mentioned Boston and Miami, and what I think is interesting about both of those teams is they were really good in the regular season. Of course, this year has been so different with the break in the middle, but they were really good. But I feel like they've really come into their own during these playoffs and really – I mean, especially Miami. They always, I thought, looked like a really good team, but Jimmy Butler, you know, Dragic, Bama, Adebayo, these guys have just taken it to another level. How much do you think championships are sort of – I don't want to say made in the playoffs because obviously leading up to it, you get ready, but how much of it is that those early first, second round, they form the identity or or solidify the identity that carries them to championship contention versus they arrive in the playoffs that way. Uh, I think every team, I mean, there are very few teams that skip the growing up stage or the maturing stage of learning what happens in playoff basketball. Uh, it's a, I hate to say it, but it's a different game than the regular season. It's more focused, yeah. more demanding, 
more physical, more emotional. And now you throw the bubble into it. And I think you got all those psychological things, playing games. I mean, some of the games, it's hard to predict. I mean, last night, I thought the Nuggets were the better basketball team. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think the Nuggets played better in last night's game than they did in game two. Mm. Uh, and then to have the game won by seven minutes of great defense, some great defensive plays. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and Denver's offense shut down. I mean, it didn't shut down because Clippers, Clippers did some good stuff. Right. They weren't going to let Jokic and Murray beat them. They were going to let someone else beat them. Right. And that guy kind of fell into Grant's hands. Yeah. And now we're all down on Grant. But Grant's been playing well, man. Don't get down on him. He's, yeah, he didn't make shots. But he, his other stuff out there has been real good. And I think the turnovers is what hurts you. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there was some great defensive plays in there. Beverly had some quick hands that got him easy baskets. And I think what happened was the turnovers created a lot of fast break points for the Clippers. Yeah. And I don't think you can give them that because the Clippers are struggling to figure out their personality a little bit five on five they've gotten the control of Kawhi. uh paul george got loose last night but basically making the three ball and one of the one thing negative on both sides is i think both teams might not have enough shooting yeah you know i mean when Jokic and murray your two best three point shooters on De denver i would work very hard to let all the other guys shoot a lot of threes but right. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want Murray and Jokic getting six or seven between the two of them. Yeah, you mentioned down the stretch because that was I when I went back and rewatched. I've watched the fourth quarter now a couple times, and the Clippers clearly turned up the intensity. We're going to talk a lot about Paul George and what he did with Jamal Murray defensively. Pat Beverly made those plays to get the the fast breaks. But Denver, I thought, still got good looks in between that, in between the really great defensive efforts from the Clippers. I thought Denver got enough good looks that you say, okay, that's what we want. You got to convert them, and Denver just didn't. How do you evaluate a game between, you know, <coughs> overreacting to this or that and saying, hey, that's what we want. We want to get Jeremy Grant open in the corner. We want to get these guys shots there. You know, how do you balance that um, when, as a coach analyzing what was just bad luck or bad, you know, misses versus what needs to change? Well, there's a difference between a wide open shot when momentum is on your side and a wide open shot when momentum is going against you. Yeah, and that's where the shots last night that Grant got, the game was powerfully against Denver. Yeah. Uh, in those situations, I would probably prefer more attacks to the rim before shooting the three. Um, you know, I think Grant could have probably not shot the one three and he could attack the paint uh, and see what else happens. And I think you got to maybe, uh, I'm, I don't know, Jokic and Murray have been so good at the end of games to criticize them. Right. For, not, for maybe not being too aggressive enough 
or were they afraid afraid of the moment? I don't think they were, but I think I want more. I want maybe Jokic and Murray to demand that they take the shot a little bit more than they did. But it's a fine line of definition. Right. It's very hard to talk about. Well, I want to. I kind of want to go in chronological order here. I know we're starting to touch on this game three, but I actually want to start, just go back a little bit first to look at the whole series so far. In our previous episode, you really talked a lot about Denver celebrating a little bit too much. Maybe, you know, you, you like a team that moves on quickly to the around because there's four rounds in the playoffs and you go, you win round one. That was emotional. Got to get ready for round two. Denver was clearly tired in game one. They clearly didn't have the mental edge in game one and they get blown out. Is this an excusable situation in your mind? And I know there's no excuses. This isn't saying, okay, they get a free pass, but is it, you know, to what degree is it understandable? And to what degree is this sort of fallout from the very thing you were talking about on the last episode? Uh, the only thing I, I could say if if the Utah series wasn't in the rearview mirror where they had two of these games, yeah, yeah, then I that worries me. If this was the only one that if they they played ten playoff games and this was the only one that stunk, yeah, it's forgivable. But. The habits and personality of a letdown is a part of playoff basketball. There is a human nature. When you win, you get happy. And when you lose, you get angry. That's a part of the process. And how you react to that and how you limit your you know, highs and lows and stay just balanced and focused is a, is a mature team sometimes versus a, a team that hasn't been there before. So when you look at the entirety of the Nuggets and things they're missing, things they're lacking, it sounds like that's maybe one thing they're learning. They're in the process of learning. They're still a very young team. They're learning, hey, no game is, is a game we can punt because it's the playoff. Every single game is an opportunity to win and advance the series. Throwing a game away in a seven-game series is, is you know, you're, you're, you're risking. If, it, if it's an even series, you're giving the other team a little bit of an advantage. Um, but in the same sense, as Doug Moe would say, a, a 25 point blowout's the same as a one point loss. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to have a couple more close games coming down the stretch here. And so you got to learn from what the Clippers did. I thought it was very clear that they were trying to make Murray and Jokic work on the play by themselves. They're crowding them and trying to give someone else an open shot. And Jokic, for the most part, found that guy pretty, pretty, pretty handsomely. Uh, but I thought the turnovers, uh, I think, I think uh, Porter had one, and I think uh, Murray had one. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. They have guys that have quick hands. Beverly is feisty, and he, he does a great job of getting his hands on balls. And I think you got to give the Clippers a little bit of the pedigree that they're built for a championship. And they do have some very, very good defenders, individual defenders. But, you know, the, the flow of the game, I thought Denver handled it. They, they, were, yeah. they were very good in the first half, weren't bad in the second half, and then the last seven minutes, it shuts down. Yeah. 
I thought Denver was incredibly comfortable in the first half, especially in that first quarter. I mean, the end of that quarter, Jokic gets two assists back-to-back off of high pick-and-roll, Clippers up top trying to trap Jamal Murray and put pressure up there. It seemed like Jokic was reading the court perfectly, kind of orchestrating guys around, getting wide-open layups. I just thought Denver was very comfortable in this game. And even in the fourth – this is why in the fourth quarter it's so tough because you mentioned (coughs) that momentum was gone. I still felt like they could kind of get the ball where they wanted to go in this one. And to me, that's that's encouraging. I mean, did you feel that way? I mean, the Clippers are a tough team. They tried to get physical. But I just felt like Denver was comfortable on the offensive end. I agree with that. Uh, I, I feel, uh, you know, I, my feeling is you have a plan that was good enough to win the game. So you're not going to really tinker and change it a lot. Other than understanding that they're probably going to be aggressive on on Murray and Co- and Jokic in the fourth quarter at the end of the game, so maybe, and I think I think Coach Malone got caught. They had a six or seven point lead, and it goes away yeah. instantaneously. Instantly, yeah. And then I think he might have gotten caught with a defensive team in the on the court. Yeah, and then when you got behind and got up to, I think I think the Clippers got it up to three, and there was a lot of misses in there. Yeah, uh, and it looked like we need more offense out there, but that's a hard call. I mean, uh, I mean Jeremy Grant's played well. I know everybody probably wants Michael Porter Jr. on the court, and it was too early in the game to go every possession offense and defense. So right, it was right. it was in a weird moment. Um, yeah. and yeah, he, he can be second guessed for that, or he can be praised for about 35 of the 48 minutes. They were the better basketball team. And it's always easy in hindsight. It, and we don't know, you know, if you do go with a more offensive oriented lineup down the stretch, you might lose by the same amount. You might lose by more. You might win. I mean, it's easy to say, well, the thing we saw didn't work. So the other thing, that was the thing to do, um, when you really don't know, but I do think I do wonder going forward if this is the Clipper strategy: really wall off and double up on Murray, double up on Jokic, and just dare other people to beat you. Do, does that make you think about changing up your closing lineup? Maybe not your starting, maybe not the flow of the game throughout it, but saying, "Okay, last six minutes, we know what they're going to do. Let's put guys on the court we feel are best equipped to to knock these shots down." I think it would be for me. Uh, I don't think Michael Porter Jr. deserves more minutes. Maybe moving his minutes around better, because he was dynamite last night. That, that that's a yeah. that's a big time, and he's getting more physical. He's getting more confident in his rebounding. But again, I I probably I think as a coach would feel more comfortable in that offense defensive mentality where right. You play him on offense and try to get him out as many defensive possessions as possible because they're going to have an ability to get to Michael Porter. Yeah. It does seem like the more minutes he's out there, the more vulnerable Denver becomes because there's more opportunities for the Clippers to get a rhythm attacking him on that end. But at the same time, I look at this series and I go, you know, Denver's going to have to score. The Clippers are an incredible offensive team. Even when Denver's doing a great job defensively, you're going to have to get a hundred and 108, 110 points, I think, in this series to win. It seems like every team has scored 110. Um, and Michael Porter, to me, last night, 18 points, that's what we saw in the seeding round. He has that ability to 
to score in bunches. I mean, unlike almost anybody else on the roster, maybe outside of Jamal Murray. So to me, that it's a really tough call. I think this is for me, it's probably the storyline of the Nuggets season is they have this player that I think gets him over the hump, but he's just not quite ready to to do all of the things that will get them over the hump. Well, my again, just by studying the bubble, I think the team has more connection when Gary Harris and, yeah. and, and Jamal, uh, uh, Grant sure. yeah. and Millsap play a lot of minutes. Yeah, Millsap seems to have more comfort in this series than he did the first series. And his intangibles exist. I know the stat sheets in fantasy fantasy basketball doesn't see intangibles. But Millsap has a toughness that I think can help you win a game. Um, And I I really want to emphasize, I, I think... And I didn't go back and look at it and study it, but I think the film would have shown me that, hey, we have some control here, that we're doing some good things here. Yeah. And and I think that the, the, the Nuggets are playing as a group better than the Lake, the Clippers are playing as a group. Right. But they might have more, they might have better superstars. For sure. I mean, yeah. and guys that have been there before, an MVP of the NBA Finals. I mean, come on. I mean, Kawhi wasn't great last last night, but he was good. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing right now is, how are you going to win four? Um, I think the series is, to me, is a little closer than after game one and definitely a little – I mean um, – you know, in so many ways, the, the 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 Nuggets were the better team in both games, the last two games. So, right. And don't get me wrong; there are, there are a lot of games I've played and lost that in the last four minutes of a game it blows up on you. Yeah. One thing about the NBA that I get I get questioned all: what's the difference between college basketball and pro basketball? And I say eight minutes. Because eight more minutes in a basketball game, it doesn't sound like a lot. But that's where the talent of the game comes out. If, if you're an underdog and you you're, you got a lead with eight minutes to go in the game, a nine, ten-point lead, it's not done. Right, right. And, and the length of the game always lets the more talent in, maybe the more experience, maybe the more – together team to come gives them a better opportunity to, to save a game when they haven't played that well most of the game. What kind of brings up one of the questions I have on my list here, which is just how many minutes, especially in the bubble environment where it's every 48 hours, how many minutes should star players be playing? And as the series goes on, do you suspect that Denver stars, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, those guys are going to see their minutes creep over the 40 minute mark? I think that's where all NBA playoffs go. You drift as you go up in the next round and and then the finals. Uh, You just feel more comfortable with a tired star than a energized role player. Right, right. Uh, But, I mean, the depth of the Nuggets is the strength of their team. But I think the depth is... Who is he going to use? 
you know, rather than expanding the bench and playing nine or 10 guys, you know, the thing you're taking out of the, the experiment that only they know about is they have no travel. They're not getting right. on a plane. They're not getting to bed at four o'clock in the morning unless they choose to. And I think is the travel means a lot to the fatigue factor. I think is controlled a lot more about travel than we think it does. Did you ever get used to it? Because I always hear this and I've only been on the road with the team a few times. And that's the thing I notice is I'm like, man, you get into the hotel. You're just so exhausted from all of the different travel part as you were in the league for decades. Did you ever get used to the rhythm of waking up in different places, all the travel, all the weird hours? No, no, I mean, never. <laughs> I mean, when you get older, it gets worse. I mean, you, you, yeah. know, you hate, you hate packing your bag. You hate, you know, hate to, you know, the, getting in your bedroom at three thirty in, in the morning and knowing that it's the wake up calls at seven and, and then you got to watch videos somewhere along the way. And, uh, it's a, it's a process that, you know, a, a day off is always good, but you don't, I mean, we're you're not having a total day off here. You right. know, every other day that you, you don't have any days off. You're, you're, you're talking basketball, you're around basketball, uh, to the point where getting away from it would probably be useful. I think even mm. in the playoffs, um, but the fatigue of the mental fatigue is a lot of it too. I mean, I don't think last night's game was mentally. I thought I thought it was kind of a. The Clippers looked like they weren't into it. They looked like they were a little loose. Yeah. And uh, Denver did a good job taking advantage of that. Played well. Played with confidence. Uh, but you know, I think you know again, Jokic. I wish I could get him a little more aggressive at the end of the game. I don't know if he got tired or if wrists started to hurt. I have no idea on that stuff. But, you know, he was dominant. Uh, it looked like he was going to get a triple-double for the first time in, you know, I think, this series this in, yeah, in play. the playoffs. Yeah. It seemed like he had more, more involvement. And I feel good. I feel good if every game that Denver will play, if Jokic is the best player on the court, they're going to have a chance. Yeah. Do you feel like he was the best player on the court over the two, the game two, game three span? If you block those games together? Yeah, I do. I think he's the most influential guy on the court by far and probably the best player by far. Uh -huh. I mean, uh, Paul George was awful good last night. Um, but – I think the Clippers got to sit back and say, don't, "Let's be careful here. Don't give, don't, don't get, don't give Denver another win and get it back to you." Right. I think, I think Doc's going to be able to really push his team to understand we don't want to mess with these guys. Right now is the time to celebrate with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, giving all users a no-brainer start to the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? I hope the Chiefs lose by 100, 100 points. Although, right now at DraftKings, you can bet on the spread, which is Kansas City plus 101 points, which means if Kansas City loses by anything less than 100, or if they win, 
you're going to collect your bet. It's an absolute no-brainer. Plus, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook. Enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get all these can't-miss offers. Pick any team during week one, bet $1, then went up to $100 million if they win. Again, promo code DNVR, limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. brought up Paul George I mean he had a great game last night from the uh, on the offensive end but to me what really stood out was defensively I mean he just presents such a unique problem to Jamal Murray specifically and they did they threw a lot of bodies at him they did a lot of different things but I thought defensively he had some of the biggest plays in the fourth quarter and down the stretch on Jamal is that a problem Denver can solve or is this a pro- is there is there somewhere I, I think earlier in the series you or when we previewed this series you had talked about if they're going to put Jamal or uh, Paul George on Jamal maybe you bring a second ball handler in and don't try to attack that matchup try to try to distract from that matchup how do you feel after watching this that game last night and, and the struggles Jamal had can he overcome that and, and where do you see that matchup well I thought in game one the big playing big on Jamal gave him, he didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, I'm surprised they haven't put Kawhi on Jokic. Mm. At the end of the game there, I was, I was wondering why they had Harold on him, Jokic rather than Kawhi. Cause then I have Kawhi on Jokic and, and, Mur- and Murray being covered by George. I have a switch there. Right. I don't have, I mean, yeah, you could take Jokic on the block, and then we bring a double team to him, we're okay. Right. Uh, but I thought the big on Murray, that's not going to go away except for the minutes that Beverly's in the game. And, and I'm not sure I have Beverly on him at the end of the game. I think I have Beverly off the ball more than on the ball. Well, what do you do if you're Denver? I mean, how do you what? What's your strategy if they're going to play so big on Murray and be effective with it? Well, I mean, the whole thing is Murray's a. Uh, I, I think you got to get him better shots than he got last night. Mm-hmm. You know, you you got to try to lift his confidence a little bit, and that's hard to do. I mean, I, I've said to you many times, the most intimidating thing in basketball is when you can't score. Yeah, and and when you don't have a comfort zone to score, right. yeah. Kawhi, did he look comfortable in game two? Hell no, he looked like he was a rookie a little bit in game two. <laughs> and the turnover is becoming to be very important in the game. You know, yeah. both teams convert turnovers very quickly into a lot of points. And you know, the game two, the Clippers lost a lot because they missed free throws and they turned the ball over. Uh, just fundamentally. And last night, I thought, uh, you know, Jokic's turnovers had an impact at the end of the first half. Definitely. That stretch was crucial. And, and then also uh, at the end of fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
as a question just about the fouls, because Denver, you know, in pretty much every game, and this is true even in the in the regular season, they draw fouls, but they don't draw shooting fouls. What do you think that is? Is it is it a specific type of talent? Is it athleticism that draws fouls? What? Why can't Denver get to the foul line? Oh, I think Jokic is old school, so he's not. He doesn't have strength and quickness. He kind of just reads angles and has seizes opportunities because he's smarter than so many players. Um, and I, I think I think the I think sometimes the athletic player can jump into and make contact to where the yeah. defense doesn't show that they're not fouling as much. Um, and I think both Murray and Jokic probably like the jump shot more than they like to go into the basket. Yeah. Uh, you know, they. I think, uh, you know, Jokic is interesting why he doesn't get more calls, to be honest with you. He seems like he gets bumped around a lot, but I like how the referee has been in the, in the whole series. I think the NBA is giving the defense a little more ability to be physical, which I think is yeah. good for the game. The game was getting way, way too soft for me. And what I also see is I think the referees don't want you to try to trick them. Right. If you're going to try to trick me, I'm not giving you anything. And yeah. uh, sometimes Denver has a lot of guys out there trying to trick him. Jokic tries to trick him. Uh, Murray is always yelling as he shoots. Uh, referees kind of get tired of that stuff. They really do. They're, they're, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you that. Uh, on the topic of lobbying the referees, so Patrick Beverly last night I thought did the nice job of sort of planting that seed. Jokic is flailing. He's flopping a lot. And, of course, Jokic went back with him. And uh, But how important is that aspect of playoff basketball? Kind of setting the stage for, hey, everybody, take a look at this thing. You know, can, speaking to the referees almost without speaking to them directly, saying, everybody, this is a thing that's happening. How, 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 much of, how important is that in a playoff series? Well, I think the referees do it. They study themselves more than they listen to what everybody's talking about because they really do study their films. They watch the film right after the game, and they have a supervisor directing what they they thought. Mm. Um, and the league is open to your your criticisms. They've opened that window up in a very positive way, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not a big... You know, the games from ship with a referee in, you know, Phil would do it a little bit. Yeah. Pop, pop, every once in a while would do it. But yeah, I think it comes down to what happens on the court. Yeah. And the discrepancy in free throws. You know, I, I, if I was a coach, I'd be sending stuff in explaining that I think this is a foul and yeah. Jokic got fouled half his shots and didn't get only shot four free throws or something like that. There's a way to present it that I think the referees will look at it fairly, but I don't think I don't think there's any I don't think there's anything close to a game being decided because of the discrepancy. Yeah, I just find it interesting. Some coaches, you can really tell they're using that that uh, podium as a pulpit to kind of set the narrative and set the tone from a foul perspective. And hey, let's all look at this. And some coaches don't. And 
I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think these referees do a lot of work behind the scenes to that. That's, that's where their influence comes from. Um, moving on though, to now going forward, first of all, so Denver gives away a game in game one from fatigue and everything and whatever else they give away a game in game three. And that it, to, as you've said, it felt like they outplayed the Clippers for a majority of that game. Just didn't close. You always hear you can't give it when you're an underdog, you can't give away a game in a series. Do you feel like Denver still has a great chance in this series? I mean, now that they have to beat the Clippers three out of four times, and even though they've they're kind of considered the underdog, do you still think they have a good chance in the series? I think they're better. They have a better chance in the series now than they did at the beginning. Mm. From the most part of what I think they're gaining advantages. Porter right. is playing with more confidence. Yeah. Gary Harris has shown okay. influence. Millsap has a role in this playoffs. Right. Murray hasn't played very well. And Jokic can be the best player on the court. There's a lot of things tilting to the positive. Uh, now, does that mean they're good enough to overcome a, a talented, skilled, well-coached basketball team? It doesn't matter. What you worry about is winning game two. And then yeah. you'll learn something. If you win game two, you'll learn something. And then can you, can you maneuver it around to win game three? Um, you know, the whole thing comes down to is I've always thought st star players can win you two, two and a half games in a series. So say Jokic can get us two and a half. Murray's got it. Someone else has got to give us another win, or Murray's got to do it all. As where, yeah. as where I think LA has, you know, I mean, if they get Paul George won last, yesterday's game for him. Right. You know, the team won game one. Well, they only we got to win two more. Right. So can Kawhi get him one and Paul George right. get him one? You know, it's uh, right now. I'm basically saying Jokic needs help. I don't know where it's coming from. It's been Murray, but, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Gary Harris helps you win game two as, right. much as, as, as much as Murray. So, I mean, figuring out how to get game two is all you got to worry about. And yeah. don't even think about game three because it's harder right. than game two. Right, right. And that was kind of Denver's MO in the Utah series. And I and it made sense. Just the we can't win three games in a row. We have to win one at a time. And and they took it from there. What what do you feel is the most important battleground coming up in this upcoming game four for for the Nuggets? Like what what is the, what is made perhaps the most important thing they need to accomplish? Oh man. I my priority list would sustain Jokic as being the best player, figure out how to help Murray and keep the turnovers under control. And I think, and I don't know if I said this before or not, but I think that both teams have shown the NBA, but also each other, that the three ball is inconsistent. Yeah. If you take Paul George off of their three ball, they're not shooting it very well. You take Jokic off the three ball, Denver's not shooting it very well. Yeah. They're both in the low 30s. So does that allow you to expand your, your defense to create 
some double teams and don't have the fear of the three ball getting crazy. But the one thing about the bubble, the three ball has gotten crazy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you look to Toronto, Toronto wins game, game three with, I mean, I mean, the discrepancy was over 10. That's 30 point difference at the three point line. Now the discrepancy, once it gets past three or four, yeah, it's, it's tough to make up. Yeah. And I don't know if it's time to play, you know, to play your better three ball shooters because I think defense wins. Torrey Craig's a defender. Uh, Morris hasn't shot the three ball great, but I think he's played well. Uh, so I think, you know, you, you guys got to have the pulse of the game and go where you think it's going to go probably as the game happens rather yeah. than maybe make a strategy decision. Is there any player that you think either deserves minutes in the series that hasn't gotten them or deserves more minutes? I mean, Torrey Craig, you mentioned Torrey Craig. I think he had six minutes last night. <clears throat> well, I think you had you had the young kid playing well. He deserved more minutes. Yeah, Monte was very good in the second quarter. Uh, you know, they both were making shots, playing confidently. Someone, you know, I, li- I like playing guys more minutes when they're playing well rather than, you know, having a lot of guys get a lot of minutes and not knowing who is playing well. Right, right. Does that put pressure on players, especially young players? I've thought there have been times this year where Michael Porter – you knew he was going to play terrible because the first time he made a mistake, he was coming out. I think so. But that's the regular season. I know it's different than the playoffs where there's no excuses. I believe that a young kid's got to learn all that stuff. And the mm. best way to learn it is by taking them out of the game. The best way they learn it is don't give them minutes. Um, mm. You can talk to them all you want, but if they keep making the same habits and mistakes – then playing time becomes important. And I think I think Michael Porter Jr. is from game one to last night. Yeah. That's a big time improvement. Big time. I mean, he was like scared to death in game one. And he actually tried to play as physically, I think, as I've ever seen him play in game three. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he can be a good defender? I don't maybe necessarily mean this year, but just in his career. Does he because he makes so many mistakes. The one thing I don't like about him, he has a high center of gravity. I mean, he has yeah. a really high, I don't know what, what you want, physiologically what that would be called. Right. And getting him down low and into a stance and getting his speed and quickness up, he'll get better at it. When he gets stronger, a little bit more mature, his body will get stronger. His low base will get stronger at it's almost at times it looks like you could tell he had back problems, you know. Mm. Uh, but his gait is always going to be in like the Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, Dirk was always kind of awkward because he was so long and, and, and lanky and not really great, not tremendously athletic. But I think Michael Porter Jr. has done a great job. I think you worry about all this other stuff till after the year. Now you just try to figure out how to get him on the court and playing well. Let me. One of the reports that came out from Chris Haynes yesterday was that Will Barton might be able to make a return as early as this series. He's been out now for a really long time. 
if he were to return in a game six, like Gary Harris did in the previous one, how would you as a coach handle that? And, and just can that be a negative, especially this far into the playoffs, adding another piece? <clears throat> I'm just going to tell you how I feel. That scares me a little bit. Yeah. It can be a positive. But as the window of positivity is same, the probably the same negativity on the other on the other end. I don't like confusing my team with playing time. Yeah. By game six, I will. I want them to kind of know where you're going to play, how you're going to play, and what I want out of you to play. Uh, and Barton went throw Porter's Jr. into what the hell's going on. Right. Uh, Craig might go from playing. 15, 18 minutes a game, and now not getting out, not even getting out of out of his sweats. Um, and it might even it might even cut into Mon, you know, the Morris's kids' minutes too. I mean, someone somebody's minutes got to go. Right. And I lo- I love Will Barton. I think he could be dynamite. But I wouldn't. I would. I would. I would coach on caution in that situation more on experimental. Are you – what was different about Gary Harris? I mean, they're different players, but what was – because he came in and provided the boost. I was scared about that too. Okay, but, yeah. But, you know – Could have gone poorly, yeah. But it was the exact opposite. I mean, I, he has the ability to give his team confidence by being a hell of a defender. And that's where the team had to go. So the, the magic was working together rather than against each other. And uh, I think, you know, obviously Coach Malone has a lot of trust in Gary because he starts them now. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I didn't know that throughout this season. It didn't seem like there was a rhythm there. Mm-hmm. No, I think it worked out for Gary. Could work out for Barton. But as a coach, if you're going to have to win game six to get to game seven, I don't know. I, I, if I had get him back game six and up three, I'm up three two. I'd be a little more. I might experiment a little bit, but if right. I'm behind, I'm not sure I'm experimenting. Coaching in the NBA sounds excruciating. I mean, all these things we're talking about. The the you know there's there's a two sides to every decision, and it's just just trying to balance all of these decisions sounds painful. Yeah, I mean there are things that. And what's funny is most most coaches, meaning we have all these conversations out there. Yeah. And there's never a decision made until the game starts and you pull, you know, how are you going to go? I mean, probably most nights, my coaching staff probably know where I was going to go most of the time, but not all the time. Yeah. What are those meetings like? I mean, in between playoff games, how do they begin? What What is sort of the rhythm of the meetings as you prepare for the next game? Uh, usually after the game, uh, you have a short meeting on what video to get ready. Uh, you might have a, a, you know, whoever who's going to be the, my, my, the main assistant who's going to lead the, the, the video and the voice. Most of the time, the voice should be yours in the playoffs, probably, as a head coach. But, you know, they might be tired of it. You know, there, there are times you sometimes went off into 
big men, little men meetings. Rather than having 15 guys in the room, you have seven guys in the room, and sometimes you get more conversation. Uh, the rhythm of is, you know, probably a short, I don't know if they even go on the court today, but a, a video today, uh, go on the court, maybe some of the guys didn't play much, uh, get shots up, and then I'm sure they might, they probably have a shoot around or a walk through tomorrow. Yeah. So they'll, they'll have two looks at them before they go to battle tomorrow night. I want to, to wrap up sort of this Nuggets portion, we're going to do a, a couple broader NBA things here in a second, but to wrap it up, just what do you expect is going to happen in game four? Like maybe not necessarily, you know, who wins or loses, but just how do you think that game's going to go? Well, my one worry is it looked like LA was trying to be physical last night, a little more yeah. physical with them last night, and it didn't, never got done. Uh, Zubox got in the foul trouble, trying to stand up Jokic a little bit. Uh, I expect the worry I have is that I think Doc is going to go after his team today that we were lucky more than good yeah. and that it's time to wake up or we're going to get, we're going to get slapped and you don't want to go play a three game series against this team. You want to get this over with as soon as possible. Tomorrow's the game that we we initiate that. Yeah, I expect a big effort from the Clippers too, as, as well. Um, I, I think this is going to be a really, really tough one for Denver to get. But obviously, um, you know, I consider it a must win. They've come back from one three one series. I don't know if you want to test your luck again against a better team back to back. Only if you're in the bubble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. You've been hammering. I, I don't know if anybody's ever done it twice in a year. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Um, let's. I want to ask you about the larger NBA playoffs, though. Have you been watching all the games? I mean, are you are you are you missing any? I am not watching a lot of. Uh, I'm watching a lot of Boston, yeah. Toronto. Um. I feel bad for Milwaukee, so I have not. I don't like watching them. Oh it's yeah. yeah, it's painful. Yeah, um, I love that you that you like all you know Milwaukee and Seattle and Denver and and still still yeah. root for them. Um, you know, and and Milwaukee has a little bit of a problem. I mean, one year they didn't change much, and they say they're going to lose the same way they lost. Mm. last year that Giannis has to figure this out and that's it makes me sad because he's an unbelievably great player yeah. and I think we saw LeBron go through this a little bit yeah you can actually I mean Michael early in his career didn't have a great jump shot and we lived with that jump shot so I think Giannis is um uh, I'm watching, you know, I, 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 I get up in the morning, I study the stat sheets, I look at the videos, the highlights, but I, I would say the games I'm watching are the, the, the West Coast, both of them, and I'm intrigued by Boston and Miami, to be honest with you. I always think that the trends of the NBA are really established in the playoffs. You see them in the regular season, but the playoffs are where you really notice what direction the league is going. Um, first of all, do you agree with that? And two, what what trends do you think have been picked up, you know, or, or planted here in this playoff so far? 
the three ball was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you look at Houston and uh, Miami. Uh, Miami not not as crazy as Houston, but Miami shoots it really well. Yeah. I, I and then I think Boston's got young, great young players that are evolving right in front of us. And a lot of three ball. Marcus Smart. What? Marcus Smart making five threes in a fourth quarter game. Yeah. Uh that, that I mean, and I look at I look at the Clipper Nuggets series as I'll tell you what, making the three ball makes the game tilt your way pretty easily out there. And so that's the one thing that jumps out in my mind. Uh, Miami's got a, I think, a really good basketball team that we didn't expect them to probably have that. Can they go all the way? Their inexperience would bother me, but I'll tell you what, the guy that's blowing up right in front of you is Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler's giving me a, a Kawhi Leonard impression. Yeah. You know, he's a defender, and now he's becoming a pretty, pretty, uh, consistent score and he you know he can handle a little bit he's not a great great facilitator but getting better and miami i think we all would write down who's the toughest team in the nba right now yeah i think every one of us is putting miami on top of that list yeah and houston's got a little mad dog in him yeah i mean pj tucker yeah yeah tucker He's rubbing, and Eric Gordon looks like he's in a, in a, a good state. Uh, the guy I worry about is Ken Harden and Westbrook figure it out. I know, yeah, yeah, it's true, especially Westbrook. Um, I mean, you know, down the stretch of that last game. Yeah, but you know, Harden's had his problems as the series has gone oh, longer. Yeah. You know, he's he may he, he's mistake prone too. One of the and this is a uh, trend that we've seen for several years, but. Miami, Boston, Houston, these teams all have a lot of length uh, on all positions. You know, they're not necessarily big in their center position, but they've got six, eight on the shooting guard spot on the wings, you know, every, everybody there. And those teams have had a lot of success being just very switchy, very intense in your face, you know, can play pressure defense. And um, that's, that's another trend that I just wonder, all those teams also happen to have a very quick guard. I mean, Fred Van Fleet, you know, Rockets, or I'm sorry, the Raptors very long on the perimeter, but they have that quick guard, Kemble Walker, that quick guard, Russell Westbrook and James Harden, those quick guys. It seems like those are the traits that teams are taking on right now. Long on the wing with one really quick guy to get that dribble penetration. Well, I still think I'm a big believer that the, the, the way the game is being played right now, attacking the rim is still your number one asset. Yeah. Um, not only the dribble. Are you, are you saying dribble. specifically off the dribble? Yeah, okay. dribble? yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. The Clippers don't have that guy. Yeah. They don't have an attack dog that's going to get 12, 12, 13 assists by driving. And they're, they're, um, Paul George and Kawhi are both kind of controlled players. Right, right. Lou Williams is kind of a crazy wild card of shots coming out of anywhere. And right now, that if it's something about the – Clippers that scares me is Lou Williams or Harrell. One of those guys is going to have a night. Yeah. You know, as much as you love how Porter played, what well, how Porter played last night is how Lou Williams usually plays. 
And Denver's done a good mm. job of controlling him in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's one thing about Denver I think they could use is that guy. When you talk about the traits that are missing from them from a skill standpoint, the, the speedy guard that can get into the – just collapses the defense, I think, is, is one guy that they don't have. As good as Monte Morris has been, you know, not making mistakes, he's not that speedy change of pace right. guy either. Well, I think both these teams uh, – the best player on the court at creating what I call flow basketball yeah, yeah. is Jokic. Yeah. I mean, it's not a guard. It's a, it's a big man. And – you know, I think L.A., if L.A. loses and doesn't win it, I think a lot of it comes down is they don't have a point guard. Mm, yeah. I mean, Kawhi plays more point and Paul George plays more point than I, I like. Yeah. And I think they got Reggie Jackson hoping that would bail out. But I think some – I know uh, – Somebody, somebody got pissed off at Reggie last night. I know he was not in the court very much. He talk about teamness. He's a good player, and he just doesn't seem like he fits into the team. Like he doesn't have a, a role on the team. That's what I've thought in those first two games. And then last night he didn't. He wasn't on the court, so he really didn't have a role. But um, yeah, that that team is interesting because they have some pieces that aren't even being used in part, large part because they haven't come together. But I'm in, I'm enjoying this Nuggets uh, Clippers series. I hope we get at least six games out of it. I hope we get seven. I hope we get Nuggets wins. But most of all, I'm enjoying this because I do feel like Denver's being tested in interesting ways. And I feel like they've risen to that challenge for the most part of the last two games. And that's been fun to see. A lot more fun than the first three games of the Utah series. Exactly. I mean, uh, and I'll, the one factor to me is, is if Jokic comes out and can be one of the top two players on the court, I don't think Denver's going. I think Denver's going to be in every game. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I hope you're right. Um, everybody, you can check out Coach Carl on the Truth and Basketball podcast. Really good podcast. Talks about a wide range of topics, not always just current events. A bunch of other stuff about George Carl's career in basketball and around the game. Of course, you can check all of our written workout at, the, at DNVR and check out the DNVR Nuggets podcast. We're going to be back after this series, hopefully previewing the third round of the playoffs. But either way, we're going to be talking about what happened to, to close out this series here sometime within the next week, whenever it wraps up. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Adam, see you tomorrow, baby. Let's go. Let's do it. And everybody else, we'll see you next time. is the time to celebrate that's right football is here kickoff football's 101st season DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app is giving this crazy no-brainer of a deal to you the listener right now all you have to do is download the top rated DraftKings sportsbook app use promo code dnvr when you sign up and then there's the bet the kansas city chiefs they are plus 100 points meaning even if kansas city loses by 100 points you still win your bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. It's a crazy no-brainer. You have to take advantage. This is a free $50 if you want or however much you want to put on there. DraftKings is also giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of the $100 million in prize giveaways. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.